Thank you for joining us for this episode in SIFMA's podcast series. I'm Ken Benson, SIFMA's president and CEO. When COVID-19 emerged in the first quarter of this year, the financial industry quickly implemented its business continuity plans and battened down the hatches to withstand a period of extreme market volatility. Today, I'm joined by Ron Lefferts, global leader of technology consulting at Protivity, and Tom Price, managing director and head of SIFMA's technology operations and business continuity planning team. With insight from our industry's operations professionals, we're going to walk through the past several months to explain where we are today and look ahead to where the industry might be headed. Ron and Tom, welcome. So Tom, you and I spoke in this podcast back in mid-March, right as the situation started to escalate in the US. That seems like a lifetime ago. To give us some perspective for our discussion today, can you take us back to when this situation first came across the BCP's team's radar? Thank you, Ken. So as part of SIFMA's BCP activities, once we identify a problem, we'll start to coordinate. And that's what we did back in January. We started to coordinate across the sector. We identified that there was an issue. We met every other day, starting in mid-January, with regulators, U.S. government agencies, and members, watching the situation closely in the, uh, first in China, and then watching as it materialized in Hong Kong, Singapore, and then ultimately Europe. Uh, as you know, SIFMA has a robust BCP organization to address all these types of hazards. And our primary goal is to ensure that the, the effective functioning of markets and of, and of course the safety of personnel is of our highest importance. Uh, we need to always be ready to address any type of disruption, whether it's weather, physical, technological, or cyber in nature. And key aspects of our BCP program include quick to market, first by identifying a problem early, sharing that information across the public and uh, private sectors, and then escalating as necessary based on the circumstances to seniors and others across the industry. So as we watched uh, what was going on uh, in Asia and then, uh, and then Europe, uh, things really uh, began to escalate in the U.S. Uh, in March. Sure, and thanks again, Kev, for having me. Really appreciate it. So yeah, so as, as people and investors started to digest the spread of the virus and the implications of a large-scale shutdown, markets really started to show stress. And we first saw them uh, in the repo market and then in the treasury market, and then liquid conditions and dislocations emerged in all fixed income markets. And the stock market also bottomed out. And now we know um, just recently that the National Bureau of Economic Research officially declared that the U.S. is in a recession since February. And that's when the Fed, in coordination with the U.S. Treasury and Congress, first stepped in to get credit flowing to households and businesses. Yeah, it was just in time. I mean, the states across the country began to implement widespread stay-at-home actions. Um, the industry went into its business continuity planning mode you know, and, 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 and in an area uh, where uh, firms have been practicing for years. So you know, this pandemic um, has been slow moving uh, in terms of, you know, there was some forecast that this was going to happen, plus symmetrical, meaning you know, all firms are going to be you know, impacted. And so leveraging some of the protocols and the work, especially through SIFMA, uh, um, they coordinated uh, their BCP plans. And I think importantly, uh, the financial services industry is considered an essential critical service uh, and, and part of the critical infrastructure. And I think you know, that imperative uh, for uh, financial services firms to uh, work with and respond to uh, and really support uh, you know, the broader economy has been something that's uh, been incredibly important. 
And I think, you know, as opposed to other times, like for example, in the financial crisis of, of, of 2008, you know, in this, in this pandemic crisis, you know, financial services really has been part of the solution, you know, not part of the problem. And that's our overarching goal to maintain orderly and functioning markets uh, to uh, underpin the, the broader economy. And SIFMA, on behalf of the industry, has been active on this front for quite some time. And in fact, uh, our 2007 pandemic exercise laid the groundwork for much of our efforts today. Yeah, indeed, Ken. That's exactly right. Back in 2007, SIFMA partnered with U.S. Treasury FIPIC members and more than 2,700 industry professionals and others to simulate a severe worldwide global pandemic, the exact scenario that we're living through today. So in mid-January, as, as this pandemic started to uh, materialize in, in China, we just set off the pandemic white paper that we published and started to leverage some of the key findings, such as safety of, of employees, potential technology concerns around moving staff from their offices to their homes, understanding regulatory relief that may be necessary. So we refamiliarized ourselves with terms like social distancing, cross-training, PPE, staggered and phased staffing, all of the things that we've identified uh, in the 2007 uh, white paper we were able to leverage as a, a basis or a, a, a groundwork to build on to address this uh, pandemic exercise in financial services. Yeah, the, the, the 2007 exercise has really proven to be invaluable and its foundation allowed us to really address the unique issues that we're having to deal with today. For instance, uh, you know, the tremendous volatility that we saw in that mid-March period uh, caused a, a failed trade backlog uh, and it you know, ended up taking two weekend sessions to clear. Yeah, well, that's where, you know, practice, you know, practice makes perfect. And there were more than 270 key trading staff and 50 institutions cleared a large backlog of failed trades on March 28th and April 25th before the month end, which is uh, critical to get that done. And the trades arose from this heightened trading volume that we, that we saw that we were discussing earlier, uh, which were multiples uh, of typical daily volumes. Uh, the effort was coordinated by CITRA. Also, uh, and it was the first time that these protocols were used outside of a test environment, and that was successful. And had that backlog not been cleared, uh, banks would have been left with unaccounted risks and trading conditions that could have deteriorated, causing you know, further market volatility. Yeah, it really underscores the importance of continuous training in you know, sort of interim, more benign periods. And, uh, and in this particular instance, uh, this, uh, you know, this, this working with the failed trades uh, uh, underscores uh, the critical aspects of a back office task, but it also underscores that uh, we have, you know, tasks that really date from a time of, of paper stock certificates. That's right. Back office uh, operations are, uh, Ken, as you know, critical to financial service companies' operations. We're responsible for processing and the execution of transactions. Uh, responsible for robust technology infrastructure that supports our organizations. We're engaged in settling transactions and transmitting funds uh, involved in reconciliation. Uh, operations is really the backbone, or, or I'd rather call it the nervous system of, uh, of uh, financial services. As it relates to regulatory relief, there were a number of processes that still require physical or manual intervention. Everything from processing of physical securities to the reconciliation of physical securities 
known uh, in the vault, known as the uh, box count, wet signatures, mailing of shareholder materials, medallion stamps, uh, all of which require uh, physical or manual intervention. Uh, uh, once identifying the necessity to have regulatory relief, of course, we engage with the regulatory community uh, and we're granted uh, temporary relief on many of these uh, issues identified. Yeah, and, and I'd like to add, you know, as an industry, uh, financial services has been hyper-focused on the increased cybersecurity risk that arises during periods of turmoil. And, you know, although the industry has been practicing, practicing this, this uh, scenario for years, um, you know, the fact is, you know, this is, you know, how fast moving this was uh, and doing it at scale um, in this period of time was, was something that was really challenging. And, you know, investments in technology enablement tools of recent years have definitely helped smooth the course uh, for financial services firms. Uh, but that had some limits in places like India, uh, where part of the supply chain for operations had to extend technology infrastructure to the last mile. Uh, meaning homes and remote areas, and these type of things, you'll create different cybersecurity challenges that the that the industries you know, had to look at and had to face. And CIFMA recently completed uh, its Quantum Dawn Five exercise, uh, and similar to the 2007 pandemic exercise, this is yet another example of the financial industry preparing for the unexpected. And I think that these type of exercises are absolutely critical in in how uh, the industry uh, understands how to respond and uh, is part of the success that uh, the industry has been having today, a, a critical part of the success. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's, it's really, uh, number one, important. Number two, very interesting. Uh, as the industry in the U.S. and around the globe went uh, to working remote uh, in as much as 95%, uh, as most firms reported to us, um, and given its uh, critical infrastructure status, certainly in the U.S. and in most uh, in most economies around the world, uh, there was a lot of scrambling going on as firms were trying to protect their people, get them home, keep the markets operating, make sure that uh, everyone remained compliant with federal regulations, but also state and other uh, nation states uh, in terms of having essential purpose, essential people have access. Uh, for what, whether it was back office functions or whatever it might be, so a, a lot of moving parts in the U.S. as well as as well as around the globe. You know, let's let's maybe fast forward a few weeks. So things have, to a large extent, settled down. Uh, the curve of the virus, uh, certainly on, on on the eastern seaboard, has flattened. Uh, market volatility, while still having spouts of volatility, have certainly died down as compared to where the, the uh, uh, exponential vol volatile period of the last two weeks of, uh, of March. Uh, volumes have come down uh, on, on the whole. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we actually had some, you know, after some really horrendous uh, 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 economic data, particularly with respect to unemployment and GDP, uh, which I think people expected, not notwithstanding the true pain that's in, that 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 uh, that that reflects, um, we've started to see some green shoots. Uh, we had an unemployment number for May that was uh, frankly different than pretty much every economist predicted. I think a lot of economists predicted that number would have been more likely in June than May. We'll see in in a few weeks what the what the June number is. Um, it, the question, though, people are asking is, are we now um, 
Uh, are we now getting to uh, the new normal and what is the new normal? So that's an interesting uh, question, and it seems to be more of a challenge to return people to the office than it was to get folks from the office to their homes a lot more uh, planning. Uh, we've been in constant contact with our members on the uh, business return to the office uh, uh, work. Uh, a critical com component of everyone's plans are the safety of employees. Secondly, uh, we need to rely on the local authorities around lifting shelter-in-place orders and also should leverage CDC and other uh, health authorities as it relates to uh, uh, when the coast is clear. Uh, individual firms have established uh, cross-functional uh, internal teams to address return to office. And one of the key components of these plans is to develop uh, uh, the right governance uh, recognizing that uh, a plan, all these plans uh, prioritize uh, staff safety, and each of these are going to be flexible, uh, consistent with understanding the business needs of the organization. Uh, and then, uh, as well as what we found is that uh, 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 different regions uh, will require different uh, types of uh, planning and resources. In addition to that, uh, what we have done, uh, a good part of the uh, discussion is uh, the potential for a second wave. So uh, uh, firms are uh, preparing to screen employees, provide PPE, uh, equipment uh, to have firms, uh, individuals possibly attest to their health. And then there's the whole concept of reconfiguring or configuring your workspace and your workstation to uh, ensure you have the proper uh, social distancing, concepts of phasing, uh, timelines, etc. So there's a lot of thinking, a lot of good thinking going into how to return people from their homes to their offices in the right measured approach. So that's interesting. So as, 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 as the industry considers, you know, who, how, and when uh, uh, they will return uh, to office. Uh, there are also a whole host of other issues we're looking at. Yeah, that's that, that's right. And and you know, in speaking with a number of uh, resilience leaders uh, and other leaders uh, from 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 the membership, uh, you know, no one knows exactly what the right ratio is going to look like, but they all understand that it's going to be uh, something different. Right. So, so the, the people working from home uh, versus not. And but but uh, and many recognize that, you know, that working from the office and that driving that critical point of, of interaction and driving innovation is something that's core to the, the culture. And so, you know, that will be that will continue forward. I think you know, when you think about, um, you know, what what firms are learning from this and I would say, let's take a lens going out to the to the future. How can how can firms learn from. From uh, from these experiences and look at opportunities to continue to enhance and, and invest. So, for example, you know a lot of firms did have to scramble to enhance their digital tools for remote working on that kind of scale. And so, looking beyond this and prioritizing investments in key areas is is a great uh, opportunity uh, for improvement. We already talked about security and privacy risks, and so looking at those with the resiliency lens are extremely important, um, as well as. Um, uh, looking at uh, potential, you know, ongoing uh, enhancements 
to things like um, e-signatures and dig digitization. And you know, Tom had mentioned earlier some of the great work that SIFMA had done to help alleviate uh, some of those um, you know, those um, burdens, uh, operating burdens. But those opportunities to, to have continued improvement going forward um, you know, are, are areas that remain. I, you know, as I talk to senior industry executives um, from all different types of firms, and certainly every firm is unique, and 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 you have different types of workforces and, and product mix and the like, uh, they are looking at at uh, different approaches, um, not just how they'll return to office uh, as the pandemic eases and and is hopefully addressed, um, but also really more long term what do they want their workforce uh, or how do they want to situate their workforce logistically? Um, and, you know, this is consistent with, uh, you know, going back to sort of the whole premise of this discussion around business continuity planning and the importance of training, something that uh, we at SIFMA and the industry does is coming out of all of these crises is, you know, what are the lessons that we learned? What are the things that worked, the things that didn't work? And what changes should the industry or regulators or, or mutually be made to be even more uh, uh, resilient uh, going into uh, the next uh, uh, crisis, whatever that may be? So, with that, uh, you know, we will continue to closely monitor COVID-19 and its impact on our industry and the markets. And for more industry resources to maintain operational resiliency, as well as information on unprecedented actions taken, please visit www.sifma.org uh, uh, forward slash COVID-19. While you're there, I encourage you to explore our other resources to promote effective and resilient capital markets. Ron and Tom, thank you for spending some time with me today and for participating in this uh, podcast.